in my opinion, mental health is something that's very little understood. Yet, so many people are really quick to voice their own opinion about mental health without really knowing what causes that particular person to suffer from it in the first place. Because of that, so many people are unwilling to talk about it or even seek help because they are so afraid of being judged by others. It was such a chance encounter that I met Chantal Ulhak Whedon on LinkedIn. She posted about the book that she co-authored along with 14 other authors and the title of the book is Truth and Triumph. And this is probably one of the most powerful conversations I've had on the topic of mental health. Well, let's cue the intro and jump straight in to the conversation. So the big question is this, how is it possible that shy and socially awkward individuals like us can have the confidence to approach a stranger and strike a meaningful conversation? To have the ability to network and connect with yourself so that you can network and connect with others. To not only survive, but thrive in this noisy world and be the connector you're meant to be. And at the same time, be the truest, most authentic version of yourself. That's the question and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Ping Hendra and welcome to Network and Connect Podcast. Thank you. So, um, like you said, I'm a lawyer. Um, I didn't think I was going to be a lawyer when I was younger, I have to admit. It's something that I fell into um, in my mid-twenties. Um, I was actually at the end of doing a degree in music, entertainment and arts management, um, which is very different. Um, and in the final year, I had to do two law modules on intellectual property and then on contracts. Um, and that really got me going in terms of wanting to start a career in law. So I finished that degree and then went straight on to another degree in law. Um, and it took me about, I would probably say five years to go from finishing my um, degree in law to actually getting a training contract. So in the UK, you can't become a solicitor at the moment or a lawyer until you um, have done two years training. Um, so you have to get this training contract and it's as, it's difficult to get. They're not easy to come by. There's a lot of people who you're competing with. And so it took me five years to go from actually finishing my degree to actually getting this training contract. In between, I worked as a legal assistant, as a paralegal. Um, but yeah, it takes time. It's not, as, it's not necessarily really quick. Um, but I went from newly qualified to being a partner in the law firm within two years. Um, so it was pretty, pretty quick in terms of progression. And I loved it. And I genuinely thought that this was going to be what I'm going to do. Um, so I got to the top as a partner and then realized very quickly that I had been chasing the wrong dream. And that being a partner in a law firm wasn't actually what I was meant to be doing. So I then realized I had to do a lot of searching in terms of what is it that I really want? What is it that I'm looking for? Um, I think there's a lot of people out there that when they're in their corporate job, they end up feeling like, you know, maybe I've made a mistake in terms of where I was going, um, but they don't necessarily know how to get out of it. Um, and that's 
basically the reason why I've transitioned um, and pivoted to become an entrepreneur as well. So I'm still working as a lawyer, but not full time. Um, and this allows me to have my own business as well and to work with ladies that want to transition from being uh, in their corporate job over to being an entrepreneur but the, the purpose of the transition is that we actually go through what their life purpose is and we establish what their life purpose is so when I was um, a partner I would sit there feeling like I really want to help people like I genuinely want to touch people's lives to the fact to the point that um, you know when they leave from a conversation with me they actually go away in a much better place than when they came to me and as a lawyer yeah we help people but it's not the same. It's not in that same way where you're going to have a genuine impact on somebody's life. Um, and it's that reason that made me kind of realize, you know, I, I genuinely want to help people and change people's lives so that they have a lifestyle that, you know, really fits with what they, they want it to. So to have that time, that location, that financial freedom, um, and to be able to say, you know, I'm going to work these hours on these days, um, just to have a little bit more power in way you know what you're going to do each day um, plus the clients that you're going to work with so as a lawyer you generally don't have a choice um, with who you're working with and um, people come and instruct you and that's it you, you know they're your client but as a um, so I'm an early stage business coach which means that I help people um, at the very beginning of their journey so I help them to find their passion um, to then create a business plan and to get started with their business so we work together for six months and um, because there's a lot of people in corporate who to try and say to them we're going to have weekly sessions the weeks come around really quickly and it's probably too much. So we tend to only do it every two weeks. Um, if somebody's really all in and they want to do it quicker, I can do it quicker with them. Um, but I think realistically, you need that two weeks in between to be able to um, you know, process things and work through things each, each kind of couple of weeks. Um, so having a transition or pivoting to something different it's not it's not a quick thing that you can do um, so you need to be able to take that time to really dig deep so we look back at your past experiences we look back at um, how people have influenced our belief system today so it may be that when we were growing up we've been surrounded by people who've been telling us that we can't do certain things because you know maybe we're they don't think that we're necessarily bright enough or they don't think that we're um you know when they feel that because we're a woman then you know maybe that's it's not the right job for a woman um or there's lots of other reasons why people might sit there and think you know, they might have been told that when they were younger that that's, this type of job isn't for you. Um, and so I want to go through that with each client and we break it down and we rebuild that belief system so that the person goes out there with a massively different mindset. Um, so for me, I think mindset is very, very big and that kind of comes into um, other things that I do around this, um, which involves mental health work as well um, but for this particular program that I'm doing then yeah I, I 
we delve into the history and then we look forward and we kind of visualize how things are going to be look at what their passions were when they were a child that they may have forgotten um it may be that they have skills in their corporate job which they can use as a coach or as a consultant or um you know just as a strategist in any way that they want to use it so it's it's amazing to see people kind of come to life and then to realize what their passion truly is um, and to think I can live this every single day um, and really help people because that's what the people that come to me are wanting as well. They're looking to help other people as well. Wow. You are a lawyer. So what's your specialty? So I work in something called court of protection um, and in the UK, that's for people who've lost mental capacity. So they're vulnerable people who either they haven't ever had mental capacity because they might have had a brain injury when they were younger, um, or they may have had a brain injury when they were an adult. And so they've gone from maybe having a normal life and a normal job to all of a sudden not being able to function in the normal world. Um, and so they need somebody that's able to uh, look after their property and their finances and to make sure that they're getting everything that they're meant to be getting. So on a simple term, it would literally be like paying somebody's bills and making sure that they're getting the right income coming in. Um, but then there's obviously a lot of contentious issues. So we sometimes help clients who are siblings generally um, and they may not necessarily see eye to eye about how somebody's going to help manage their money uh, their parents money for instance and so that's when the contentious side comes in and you end up going into litigation um, and we have to show the judge basically why our client is the best person for the job um, and sometimes when siblings can't get on and they've got an elderly parent it may be that actually a professional has to be appointed because the siblings just aren't ever going to see eye to eye um, and so that's where we come in as lawyers and we're there to help um, deal with things if there's a family breakdown if there isn't a family breakdown, we can make an application to appoint a family member to help um, manage somebody's property and finances. But also it's for health and welfare. So on the health and welfare side, it may be, for instance, that... Um, you know, there might be an elderly gentleman who or elderly lady who's in a care home and they're actually saying to somebody, I don't want to be here. And so all of a sudden there's a there's a whole legal issue there is that they're being kept in, in a in a care home against their will um, and so that's where we then come in again is that you know normally the local authority would then get involved um, they'd have social workers go and talk to them they'd have a litigation friend or an advocate that would go and talk to them and then it would be down to the local authority to then say these are the caring options so it depends what somebody's financial background is um, so for instance if someone has very little money they're not going to have as many options as somebody who may be a multi-millionaire who the options would be kind of almost endless in terms of you know they could buy their own property and have living carers or they could go to a very high-end care home or they could stay where they are or they could go to you know there's different places they can go to because they have the finances to be able to do it but along with that you've then got family conflict so you might have a wife who might be from, from a second marriage 
who then doesn't get on with the children for like her stepchildren or um vice versa it may be like a, a husband from a marriage who doesn't get on with the wife's um children um and so one party is saying i want my parent to go into this care home and another party is saying i don't want them to go into a care home um but the actual person who they're talking about doesn't have the capacity to make that decision themselves um so there's a lot of multidisciplinary team kind of like working together um and then coming to the judge and saying these are all the options this is why we think we should go down this route this is why we think we shouldn't go down this route and then it's the judge that ends up making that decision about where that person's going to live um so they're quite big decisions about people's life i guess um in other circumstances it may be that um we've had it before where there's like a parent we had a uh, he wasn't really a child he was a young adult in his 20s and he'd been stabbed um in london and he'd gone into a coma and they were saying that he was basically brain dead um they medical professionals were saying it's time to turn off the life support machine and mum was saying absolutely not i want a second opinion um so there was going to be this consideration of whether you know the life support machine should be switched off against mum's wishes um and that's like another health and welfare situation where we end up having to assist clients to put forward their best case possible um so the judge has all the information that they can make that decision so there you know sometimes on the health and welfare side it can be really um challenging emotionally for the family because you're making this decision about whether someone has you know stays alive be it on a ventilator or whether you basically turn off the ventilator and allow them to pass away um so yeah so they're big decisions sometimes um but it's still an area of law that i absolutely love um and I, it feels good because you're helping the vulnerable basically and so you're giving them a voice and helping them say what you know what they they want to happen well it's like a big pivot <laughs> from <laughs> yeah. you know, your previous one because you said you are doing music and then um to <laughs> law just because you want to laws protecting music uh against piracy or whatever <laughs> and then it goes on to to all these great things that you're doing at the moment Wow, that's a that's a huge pivot, and that and now there's another pivot of you going to entrepreneurship, right? Um, yeah. And you said earlier that uh, there might, there are some reasons that you know perhaps it's it's not fulfilling or something. Uh, I'm not sure about your case, but you said uh, based on your client's life, right? You said maybe it's not fulfilling at the uh, corporate job. That's why they want to you help them to move to entrepreneurship. What is that yeah. for you? For me. It's about realizing when you've you've had a dream and you've worked hard to get to the top of that dream, um, and you get to the top and then you realize actually this isn't what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and there are so many people out there in the corporate world who feel genuinely feel that, but they also feel um, they may feel lost. They may feel a bit trapped. Um, they may feel that they've, you know, made a bad decision. Um, and for me, it's to show them that, you know, there's never a bad decision. It's just, you know, you, you learn from experiences. And 
So it doesn't matter what somebody's background is. Nobody, when they come onto the program, would ever be judged about the decisions that they've been that they've made. But we would always use those decisions and those experiences to say, like, how can we help other people through this? Um, because there's not. I can't really think that there would be anybody that hasn't experienced something that somebody else has experienced. There's hardly ever going to be a situation where there's only one person in the world that has ever had something happen. Um, and so I think that's why it's really important to, to share those experiences and to help other people through that. And that's where the pivot has come really. Um, so whilst I was, um, I wouldn't necessarily say I was unhappy as a partner, um, but I just knew that it wasn't for me. I knew that the office politics, having to deal with, you know, re- office relationships, um, I knew that I could spend my time much more wisely with other people and have a better impact. So generally when you're in law, um, unless you're winning in a case, you know, even if you win in, in our kind of area, there isn't a situation really where I can think that somebody would be constantly positive because you're fighting um, for something that you genuinely feel is right. And so I think in my area, it's quite a negative feeling most of the time. And so it's hard to be then dealing with other stuff around you, which is negative because, you know, colleagues that get on with each other and as a partner you're having to manage the issues that are happening in the office um and then all the other stuff that kind of just generally gets pushed onto you as a partner um so for me it was so important to say okay I've learned from this (laughs) it's not what I want to do but it's it's okay um you know I have learned from it and there's going to be other people who are going to come and follow me in this who have had exactly the same thing maybe not as a lawyer they may have been doing something else in the corporate world um but they will have also um you know, got to the top of where they're wanting to go and then realised actually I'm helping somebody else's dreams come true and not my own. Um, And it was for that reason and just the positivity that came around personal development and, you know, working with clients who genuinely want to make a difference. um, That was life-changing for me. Um, So as a partner, I did go through some experiences in terms of uh, mental health issues. It wasn't because of the job. It was just because of the situation at the time. But I think that's still something that I talk to a lot of people about um, because mental health is something that so many people don't want to talk about. But there's no shame in it. You know, mental health happens to everybody. Everyone has mental health. Um, It's either a good mental health or maybe a a poor mental health. Um, And so it's, for me, I don't understand why people shy away from talking about it because it's natural. But also when someone comes to you and they say, you know, "I'm, I'm struggling with my mental health and I need some help. It's about knowing how to help them um, to the best of your ability and for me it's not about you know I'm not trained in dealing with mental health at all um, but it's about knowing that you've got the right place to um, signpost somebody to so you know they're getting the right support there and I mean there is we're lucky in the UK in that there are 
Um, there are mental health services specifically for lawyers because sometimes, you know, just caseloads and the amount of stress that happens in the law firms, um, you know, it's inevitable, but everybody has stress in their job, no matter what job you have. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's, it's not that lawyers should be singled out at all. It's just the fact that, you know, there's something specific. So that particular um, service knows what it's like to be a lawyer. And I think that's the most important thing is that you're actually trying, you're, you're helping people to find the right support for them at that moment in time. I have a question that I want to ask you. Uh, when you said that uh, when someone speak to you and said, for example, let's say I am Uh, I'm just a normal guy, and then one of my friend told me and said, "Hey, uh, Ping, I I have some issues with stress, anxiety, with um, mm. shyness, and how can I, who doesn't have any experience, but I want to help him or her to get better, or at least to just, you know, he he or she is fine. How can I, without any experience, be able to do that?" To help them? Not to help them in a way, kind of like to just make them feel better. Maybe mm -hmm. uh, through them speaking to me, they might feel a little bit better because it's, you know, it has been kept inside their head all the time. Yeah. What, what, what do you think we should do? So for a lot of people, I think just being able to talk often helps. Um, but the important thing to remember is that unless you're a specialist, actually trained to deal with mental health um, it's not our place to then be giving advice to other people um, because mental health is you know I, I wouldn't expect somebody to come to me and say I've got a problem in like a physical problem in my body can you help me because you know I'm not a doctor I'm not trained to deal with that um, but I think there are a lot of people who when it comes to mental health a lot of people seem to think that they are you know oh I know how to deal with it because so and so I know somebody who had mental health issues um, and this is what they did so this is what I'm going to tell you to do um, but actually that each person needs to have specific support because we don't know their background necessarily. Um, so for me, for example, um, my mental health was actually around, um, I have chronic migraines, so I have a pain in my head every single day. So when it comes to trying to remember Say, for instance, um, I was saying to one of my colleagues, can you do X, Y, Z? And the next day I'd ask someone else to do it, forgetting that I'd already asked someone else to do it. Um, and I spoke to my neurologist about this and he said, that's totally normal because in your brain, it's not remembering the task, it's remembering that you've got pain. And so for somebody to then, I think for me, it was about realizing that I was in my mid thirties um, and that I'm effectively somebody who has a problem remembering stuff um, if, I, if my pain is bad. And there is nobody that can really give you that support in terms of telling you what to do unless you're a specialist in that area um so whatever mental health somebody's having we don't know what their situation is we don't know what their background is um so yes we can listen to them because sometimes that's enough to help people feel like they've offloaded but then you also have to remember your own mental health as well because i think as people we kind of literally like put somebody else's baggage on our backs constantly. So someone can talk to you and say, this, this really bad thing happened today. And then another friend comes and talks to you and say, this really bad thing happened today. And everyone's telling you all this bad stuff. And then all of a sudden you feel really heavy and you're like, 
I haven't had a bad day, but for some reason I'm weighed down with everybody else's, you know, problems. And so that's why I think when we aren't mentally, or when we're not trained in mental health, we just have to be very aware of our own mental health when we're saying to people, come and talk to us, um, because it can have a real impact. And so I think if it's a close friend, obviously, yes, I would always say, come and talk to me. I'm never going to be able to tell somebody what to do because oh, that's not my speciality. Um, but I would support them to get the right support that they need. Uh, we've, I've been co-authored, I co-authored a book fairly recently um, with 15 or 14 other authors, um, all talking about kind of a challenge that they've experienced in life and how they've overcome it. And the all the proceeds from that book is going to a, a mental health charity and it's for young children um so children who are experiencing mental health issues and they need help because the actual charity was set up just over a year ago by um lovely parents of a girl who was in her 20s oh no she was 20 i think um and she succeeded in her committing suicide um and she had been in the year before she succeeded with that, I think she'd done, she'd attempted to do it maybe three times. And so for her family, it became really evident that it was going to be a when, not an if. Um, and so for them, they have made it their purpose, basically, to try and help other people because there are situations where, you know, like their daughter, they're never going to be able to prevent somebody doing that. If they're so focused on succeeding in that task, you're not going to be able to stop someone doing that. But you are going to be able to be there to be supportive and to be able to signpost them to the right people. So for that charity, they are able to, you know, they work with people across the UK, different organisations. And so wherever that person is located, they're able to signpost them to someone who can genuinely help them in their area. Um, and I think that's the important thing when we have friends or family come to us and they say, you know, I'm just really struggling or you realize there may be a change in their behavior. They may start becoming a little bit more withdrawn. Um, you know, they may be more emotional than normal. Um, so there's little signs to try and kind of like pick up on. And when you realize this, I think it's about kind of saying to them, do you want some help? Because they might not actually want it and they might not even realize that their mental health declining um, and so I think it's about just making sure that they're aware like I can see you're struggling um, and I'm here for you and if you want some help then we'll find it together and it's about kind of helping them get on their journey to finding the right person who's able to support them and sometimes that involves a team it's not just you know one person it might not just be a psychiatrist it might be you know the psychiatrist and you know a multidisciplinary team around them um so i think for this particular charity just an, an example of our mental health systems very good in the uk however they're never going to have enough money to help everybody and i think that's the problem and so we would never criticize the mental health service because they're amazing. However, when you have a child or a young person who they've been in hospital because they've attempted to commit suicide and then they're discharged from hospital when they're better, but 
better in mental health doesn't come just like that. You know, it's it takes time. So they may be healed in terms of their physical problems if they've cut themselves or, you know, taken tablets and harmed their body inside or, you know, whatever they've been doing. But then when they leave the hospital and there's no follow up, that's because there's not enough finances for the mental health service it's not because they intentionally want to just leave that person to it but realistically there isn't the support there for people and I think I can't imagine what it would be like to have to go through a situation and then be completely left on my own to deal with it as if to be like do you know what you've you've seen the doctor for a few days now you're better off you go you know mental health doesn't work like that um and sometimes people don't even feel that they're able to tell you that they're struggling with mental health. And that's when you have people who commit suicide and everyone around them is really shocked. And they're just like, well, you know, I can't imagine why he would do it. He's got a good life or she's got a good life or, you know, um, they were happy. I was just talking to them the other day and I had no inkling of anything. Um, and that's the most serious is that you, you do get some people who... I wouldn't say play on it, but I would say their mental health may be not as serious as somebody else's, but they shout the loudest. And because they shout the loudest, they get heard and they get support. Whereas somebody who's kind of trying to deal with it on their own and they're not really telling anyone, it's those people that are the ones that we kind of have more concern for because genuinely, you know, they can do things without anybody knowing. And by that time, it's too late. And I mean, I've experienced that happen with friends of mine. And it's like a complete blow, like someone slapped you across the face. It's like, you know, you're talking to somebody like just yesterday. And then, you know, you hear the next day that they've done something. And it's just like, wow, you know, so I think for me, it's about being there for your friends showing them that you can help them get the support but you're not necessarily the person that can help them um but to just make them aware that you're here that you're going to be there to listen to support them whatever they need um but that they need specialist help um and it's nothing to be ashamed of and just generally to kind of just check up on them you know do they need anything do they want to come around for dinner or if they don't want to come around because sometimes when you're struggling with your mental health you don't really want to be around people but it may be really helpful if someone goes and takes them some cooked dinner or you know simple little things that just show them that they're not on their own i have two part question number one mm-hmm. if you my dear listeners out there if you have some kind of uh, mental health challenges, what are some of the ways you can do to speak up without having the feeling of perhaps like guilt, shame, or feeling let down or things like that? That's number one question. The second follow-up question of that would be, who are the type of friends or people you should speak with? Uh, Sometimes people will be like, if it's me or if it's, the society or something else before they want to speak to professionals perhaps they want to speak with a friend or someone like that who are the types of friends they should or the types of people they should reach out to so those are my two questions okay so i think in terms of the first question 
let me go with the second question first. Okay, the types of people that I would talk to um, are the ones that you know you can telephone in the middle of the night and tell them you have a problem. You know, those friends that are so close that you know that no matter what, they're going to be there till the, you know, the end of time. Um, I think generally most people have at least one of those people. Um, and they're the people that are not going to judge you. Um, and they're actually going to, sometimes they might be relieved that you're actually kind of reaching out and saying, look, I think I need some help. This has been happening. Um, and they might be having seen like changes in behavior, but they don't necessarily know whether they should say anything because they don't want to offend you. And, you know, but they're the people that generally, you know, they're not going to judge you. Um, so yeah, definitely the people that are really close for me, I have to be honest. Um, I had some family members who, when I was at a very, very low point, I'll be kind of kind of upfront about it. So I went through a period of time um, when I was a partner in that law firm where the pain in my head was so bad that I got to a point where I was like, no tablet helps. They can't find anything to stop the pain. The only way that I can stop the pain is to not be here anymore. And so I went to a train station, stood on the platform, and every time a train went past that was going at speed, I would try and psych myself up to be like, come on, come on, like you can do it. If you just jump off now, the pain's going to go. That's it, it'll stop. You don't need to worry about it anymore. And when you're in that place, if you're able to then just reach out to that somebody. So for me, that was my husband. I rang him and he had no idea where I was. I need me are mental health professionals that um, they come and assess a situation so that if somebody is literally in the middle of a crisis and potentially putting their life and other lives at risks, um, they would look to intervene basically. Um, so I was at work and went into a meeting room and I had a crisis team meeting on the telephone with a mental health nurse and she said, okay, when you come home tonight, we're going to come around and see you at home. Nobody at work knew that I was literally in the middle of going through all of this. Um, and I think some people were surprised when they later did find out um, because Although you kind of do change a little bit in your behavior, you, sometimes people can still hide things. And so, yeah, I think at that moment in time, I had a family member who basically didn't believe what I was going through. And so to hear somebody tell you, when I'm saying to somebody, I genuinely need some help. And when somebody says, no, you know, I've dealt with people, my friends have had this and you're not like them. And, you know, so it's, you know, what you're going through is nothing compared to everybody else. Um, and I think that's where you need to pick your people very carefully because having those types of people that basically don't believe you at that moment in time could be enough to push you over to kind of finalizing whatever it is that you were looking to do. So that's why I would say it's not necessarily always going to be family that you turn to. It's going to be that person who you know that doesn't matter what time of day or night, you can ring them and you can say to them, 
I'm in a situation and I genuinely need some help. And the people that aren't going to judge you, but they're just going to be there. They're not going to push you to do anything, but they're just going to be there to listen. But they are going to be there to also kind of gently nudge you in the direction of the professionals. Um, And I think that's important to, to know who those people are. So for me, I know I have... Um, two couple friends who I met them both at uni and I know that I can ring them no matter what time day or night and for me I know that they are going to be my rock and they will probably always be my rock um, going forward into old age um, but yeah so they're the kind of people that I think you need to go for um, recap on question one just so that I can answer it well The first question will be if you have deal some dealings with uh, mental health or issues that you don't know is mental health and you want to mm-hmm. speak to someone uh, or tell people about it just like your case, how would you do that in such a way that, uh, and also you need to be mentally prepared, right? That you don't want to be ridiculed or you don't want to be looked down upon, yeah. things like that nature. Um. I think that's really difficult because I think it depends on it depends on the situation and why your mental health has started going down the spiral. So uh, the first time that I struggled, um, I was a young adult and I had experienced um, a sexual abuse issue. And my parents weren't aware of this. And I went to a counsellor and I said to her, how do I tell my parents? And she said, sit them down on the sofa and tell them that you're going to tell them something. And then when you walk out of the room, you don't want them to ask you any more questions. That's it. And I was like, are you serious? Like any parent is going to say how, what, why, when, you know, they're going to have so many questions. So I then didn't tell my parents because I was like, I don't know how to tell them. And I think that's really hard when you've experienced something that even if it's your mental health, which it's the mental health, that's the issue where you're struggling to tell somebody about something. There is no one way that you can approach somebody and say, hey, I'm going through this right now. Um, and I think the way that you would deal with things is very different depending on how your mental health has come about. So it may have been that there was a, you know, a scenario that happened. And then obviously from that scenario, things have just kind of broken apart. It could be that there's things that have gently increased the pressure and you've got to breaking point and you're like, you know, I can't do this anymore. Um, you know, so there's so many different ways that you could, um, that could lead you to poor mental health that then knowing how to, how to share that with people without feeling like potentially you might get ridiculed is quite hard. But I think again, when you know that person who, um, who you can approach, then go to them If you don't, if you feel that you don't have that kind of person, the best person for me is always a doctor. To go to your doctor and to say, look, this is what I'm experiencing. Because it's your doctor who can then refer you to the right professionals in that area. The doctor is never going to criticize or judge you in any way. All they're going to want to do is understand what are you thinking? What are you feeling? How long has this been going on? Do you need 
some support in terms of counseling do you need support in terms of maybe antidepressants um do you need some support so like for in the uk we have um we have something called cognitive behavioral therapy groups and they basically try and help you reframe your way of thinking and so for some people going to that kind of group might be sufficient for them because then it will give them the strategies and the tools to then when they have a negative thought come in to then repurpose that thought and then have it become a positive thought and so for some people that would be enough but for others it may be that they have to have you know some genuine time with a psychiatrist to kind of go through strategies one-on-one um or going to see a counsellor or you know going to see somebody who's medically trained in dealing with someone with mental health um so if you don't have that special somebody that you can go to and you know that they would never judge you no matter what then i think the best bet is your gp like your doctor um because that's what they're trained to do they're there to help you and they're there to um give you the right advice and the right guidance and to signpost you to the right people you mentioned that you have chronic pain every single day right how how long has that been is it since since you were a young girl or um no so it developed in 2015 okay and it just started as a headache every single day and at the time my husband was actually um going through his own mental health crisis um he was working with young adults with mental health and learning difficulties and he was actually attacked at work and that really set him off on um a path of just i think it just it shocked him so much about what had happened that he just lit very quickly just went down into a really bad spiral um he wasn't sleeping so i was like oh, it's probably because i'm not sleeping that's all it is i'll just put it down to that um and then when i started getting better sleep and i was like you know actually this pain is still here so then i went to the doctor and the doctor was like let's try this tablet and that tablet and i think i'd tried about eight different tablets and when you've tried three you're eligible for botox injections in the uk where you have i think it's about 31 to 34 injections kind of like across your forehead and then down the back and across your shoulders um i was petrified <laughs> to have these injections because i was like you know i'm not great with injections and to think that i've got to have like 31 injections in one go was like no nah, it's not for me so i carried on with the tablets and the tablets didn't work i had 3 months off work because of it um and i got to the point where i was like you know i couldn't drive because the tablets were making me so drowsy um and so i got to the point where i was like you know what enough is enough i'm coming off all these tablets so i'm just going to give the injections a go um so the first i think i've had the injections now for about 4 years probably um so you have them every 3 months and it basically the, the purpose of the botox is it's to um it kind of like paralyzes the muscle so that you can't kind of like you know when people have botox here it stops them being able to like move their head up and like their eyebrows up and down um 
so yeah it kind of like paralyzes the muscles so then it won't be able to contract and then give you such a bad pain in your head so that's the reason for the the botox but the trouble is it doesn't always work so there are occasions particularly when you're doing things like um things that you take for granted every single day like traveling at night with the car lights that go in like when you see the bright lights of the car when you're traveling um if you if your head is really bad then you know that can be enough to just send you over the top it's just like on this particular night I had actually become a godmother to one of my friend's little girls we'd been to the service and you know we'd had a nice time and I was driving home and that was the actual situation was that I was driving home and there were all these kind of it was dark so the lights car lights were on um, and I literally knew like I couldn't cry properly because if I cried then my head hurt even more <laughs> so then I literally was just driving along just with like tears coming down like this is so painful and that's when I got to the point where I was like do you know what it's hard like I don't know if I can do this and the sad thing is not that long after I had experienced that somebody that my um, parents know he had the same thing chronic migraines and he actually succeeded in his um suicide and he did actually jump in front of a train and so i think that's the thing is that mental health it's not always because of stress it's not always because of um you know something necessarily bad it can genuinely be because you know just our health in general is really run down and we're really struggling so when you have um, a health condition and it's a prolonged thing and you're literally feeling like you're battling with it day in day out that's when people's mental health can go really downhill quite quickly um because you know it's, it's hard to deal with pain but when you're able to get it to if you're able to find something that helps you um deal with the pain eventually then it, it, that's when you're able to kind of function and be a little bit more back into the normal world but there's silly things that people have to do so like say for instance um I was desperate years ago to go and see a film that was coming out and I just couldn't go to the cinema um or to the movies because the brightness of the screen was just too much and the sound as well so I went in and I had my normal headphones and then other headphones over the top and then I had my sunglasses I was determined I was going to watch this film and it, you look ridiculous and I sat at the back and was like please god nobody can see me <laughs> like this is crazy but I was so determined I was going to watch this film and you have to find other ways of getting around it because if you don't then you know life's just boring so you still need to try and figure out ways of dealing with stuff no matter what it is it could be that you're just genuinely stressed and so you know it may be that you're advised to you know, try the things that will help you de-stress, like maybe exercise or meditation or listening to music or, you know, whatever it is that helps you feel um, that you're able to kind of, you know, just generally feel better about yourself. And if you've got a chronic problem um, and there's pain, then it's about just, con I mean, my GP, bless him, my doctor, he is 
a saint like he's so patient with me and and to have someone coming back all the time going look it's not working it's not working and you know I need to try something else Um, and he was so patient and just to say okay let's try this thing let's try this thing we'll do this next and he always had a plan um but it was always about you know checking in with your doctor and actually saying this has worked or this hasn't worked be completely honest with them um that's what they're there to do they're there to help you um and you know they're the best people that you can go to if you're struggling with your mental health for whatever reason it is um you know go to somebody who is medically trained to help you okay so um you said that you get your chronic pain from 2015 right so when did you actually pivot to being a lawyer? So I had actually just started as a trainee lawyer. So I'd started my training contract in uh, February, March 2015. So that was another thing that the doctors were saying, like, is it maybe because it's stressful? Mm. You know, is it maybe you've got headaches because of this. And I was like, no, it's not stressful. It's really good. I'm enjoying it. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of times that people kind of, because we don't know the exact reason or why something's happened. Um, there's a lot of like assumptions that get made. So I then had, um, my work were amazing. So because I was on all these different tablets that are making me a bit like, I felt like a bit like a zombie and like I was trying to walk through mud every day. It was just very hard. Um, and I was struggling in terms of driving. So they were like, look, you need to have some time off and just really try and get to the bottom of it. So they were amazing. And um, basically I had three months off when I was training as a lawyer and they were so amazing being able to help me with, you know, just getting to the getting to the um, kind of bottom of everything and, you know, why things were happening. But when I did end up going back and then being able to go forward, it was because I'd had that time to kind of really group myself and to say, okay, how am I going to do this going forward? Because three months off work, I mean, for me, initially, I was just flat out on the sofa and just I had so many tablets that I was just not even functioning. But then when I came off the tablets, I was so desperate to get back to work. So I was like, look, guys, I'm so bored at home. I'm like, come on, I need to come back. Um, but yeah, they were amazing. So then I had about 18 months with them training and yeah, then qualified and I was still going through the pain. Um, but it's just something that you kind of have to find what works for you I guess so for me I like alternative um, therapies um, like to have quite a holistic approach um, so medication if I can avoid it that's something that I really don't like um, because for me I feel like that masks the problem not necessarily solves the problem um, so I do things like I don't know if you have this with you, where you are, but it's um it's called a network spinal analysis, and it's a little bit it's basically a chiropractor, but instead of them clicking on your spine, they work with the energy that goes down your spinal cord, so they barely touch you, and you you when they're 
pushing on set pressure points in your spine, your body automatically moves to whatever it needs to be doing to re- realign itself. Um, and so I started doing that, but then I also looked at other things, so like meditation and different things like that, that might be able to help me kind of breathe through, I guess, um, certain pain. So for people who have had um like children and they want to have a birth where there's like you know no drugs they often deal with like a breathing kind of work they have breath work where they're able to breathe into the pain and they're able to try and control it in that way but there are so many other ways you can deal with pain through breath work not just necessarily about having a child um so yeah there's, there's lots of things that you can do and you don't have to I, I never want anyone to ever feel that they have to do something. It has to be what they're ready to do because if they're not ready to do that work, no matter you know whichever work they end up doing, um, it you know it's not going to help them because you, you know you need to be mentally ready um, and accepting the work that needs to happen. You mentioned earlier about your husband work to help mental health mm-hmm. um, clients of his, and then it just spiraled out of control. Uh, can you tell us more a little bit about that? Um, so for him, uh, when he got attacked at work, he very quickly went out, down into a, a quite a bad decline um, to the point that he was off work for several months. Um, I, you know, he was sleeping maybe one hour a night and then sleeping most of the day. Um, my husband's actually from Pakistan, and so at the time like we live with my parents and with me going to work my mum going to work my dad was the only one that was home for him to go to Pakistan where he has all his family around him um, that would be able to give him love and support so I booked a trip for him to go to Pakistan and um, it was the worst thing that I could have done so in Pakistan their understanding of mental health is is not very good so when he was over there and saying I've got poor mental health their attitude was everyone has poor mental health I don't know what you're talking about just get on with it um and he was literally ringing and saying can I come home can I come home like it's terrible and I think for me, I realized best intention could actually hurt that person even more. Um, but for him, yeah, he ended up being um, off work for a couple of months. Um, he then transitioned into an office role. And yeah, I think that was probably the turning point for him was when he he realized that working with people with learning disabilities and mental health was probably not the right thing for him at, the, at that time. Um, it had obviously taken its toll on him and he's very patient Um, but I think when you have somebody who's really patient they're the ones that often don't speak up um, kind of soon enough in terms of the the mental health that that support that they need Um, but he very quickly shifted and it was quite scary to see how quickly he kind of just went down um, to one minute functioning at work I mean he even staged there overnight um, after he'd been attacked and came home the next day um, and so he'd still been able to function at work overnight and then do a day sh- like a morning shift the next day um, and it wasn't until he came home and it was almost like his body just processed everything that had happened like once he was able to stop and then all of a sudden he just shut down very very quickly um, 
and I think that's the thing with mental health is that people you know their their personality can change so he could go from he sings a lot so he likes to sing very loudly he's not necessarily the best singer in the world um but he sings loudly when he's in the shower when he's cooking when he's cleaning like whatever he's doing if he's singing you generally know that he's having a good time um and the house was silent during this time when his mental health was bad he just stopped singing and it was really evident that you know there'd been a massive change in him and it probably took several years for him to start singing again um and so the first time i think we all heard him singing again it was like oh you know that that's a big that was a massive turning point for us because you know we had the old him come back in terms of his singing um so yeah i think it, you know you can mental health is one of those things where it's it's not something that you can just take a pill and you feel better you know there's a lot of work that has to go into you know how have you got to this place you know how can we prevent this happening again what do you need to do to get you out of this place um what work do you need to be doing to kind of like on yourself so that you're stronger mentally it's very different to mine because I still functioned and went to work um and he couldn't so everybody's mental health is completely different and I think that's the important thing is that when you have when you've experienced somebody having mental health and then you see somebody else saying that they've got like mental health issues themselves but it's not what you have experienced before it doesn't mean that you know they they're not experiencing it you know for them i i might have a problem but for you this problem might feel like it's really tiny but for me when you're when you've got poor mental health that could be like the biggest problem in the world um, and I think that's the hardest thing is that when you look at people and they're like, when you say to them, like, you know, what, what's going on in your mind? And it's a really simple problem more often than not. Um, but for whatever reason, when you've got poor mental health, it just feels like you're kind of like climbing a massive mountain. Um, and for whatever reason, it's just something that you can't get your head around. And if you were mentally stronger, you might have been in a position to say, oh, I need to do this. And then it's you know problem solved. But when your mental health is poor, then little things seem like massive problems. Um, and I think that's important for people to realise is that everybody deals with things very differently. So when we look at things and we think, oh, you know, that person's not really dealing with anything particularly big. But for them, they might feel like they're dealing with the, they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. Mm. What about right now? Do you still have your chronic pain or not so much anymore? So I still do. Um, it varies in severity. So like I have a pain there every single day. Um, and just the severity changes. And I think it's about trying to, when it's really bad, it's about just saying, okay, do you know what? The pain's bad today. So I'm just going to give myself a little bit of grace and to give myself that time to just, you know, chill out. So if you're, if you're somebody who has chronic pain, wherever it is, and you're tired because it generally does make you tired, um, give yourself some time. Like, you know, don't put so much pressure on yourself because that's what I was always like. I always felt like, you know, I needed to continue doing everything at the speed that I was doing it before. But 
when your body changes or for whatever reason something happens yeah you just need to give yourself that little bit of time and just be kind to yourself because I think we're our worst critic um ourselves and so yeah it's important to just let ourselves like if you're having one of those days do you know what it's fine have a duvet day sit in bed watch movies you know do whatever makes you feel better um but don't put so much pressure on yourself because it's when we start putting all that pressure that you know we end up I guess feeling like we're failing um and so yeah yeah I think that's important and this is something that I also share with a lot of people whenever you feel you because your body knows what's good for you And what's best for you when you feel that oh, I don't feel like working today? It's okay to take a break from time to time. Uh, oftentimes, the thing with entrepreneurship, especially, is that people feel guilty. Oh, I'm yeah. taking a break. It means you know my competitor or someone else will will push past me because I'm taking a break, and because of them, they just keep working on and on and on and on without taking a break, and that actually breaks them down. Yeah. What advice can you give? I, I mean, especially you right now, you're working with, you know, would-be entrepreneurs and I'm sure they will also experience similar things from time to time. What's the advice that you can give them? I think this is why I found that it's important to have the two-week gap between our sessions is because to add um, some kind of training on top of, you know, everything that they're already doing, it's just added stress. Um, and so, you know, you're not going to function well if you're exhausted and your business isn't going to function well if you're exhausted. So it is about having that little time, even if it's, you know, one day every few weeks where, you know, I'm going to completely switch off, switch off from social media, switch off from, you know, everything and just spend time doing whatever it is that you genuinely love and that gives you energy so that when you come back the next day, then you're really energized and ready to hit the ground running. Stay tuned for part two of our conversation. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so that you will be notified whenever new episodes airs. If you have any questions or feedback, or if you know someone with amazing stories to share, please send an email to hello at networkandconnect.com and I will be more than happy to connect with you. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it to your friend as well. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'm looking forward to the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye.